Well, two weeks ago, we looked at the seventh commandment, which dealt with adultery. God's plan for married couple is faithfulness to the end, or as the wedding vow states, till death us do part. As God's children, every spouse needs to give full attention to meeting their spouse's needs, keeping their focus on pleasing God and guarding both their eyes and hearts to keep them pure and holy before God. And at the root of this commandment is a desire to be righteous before a holy God in all matters of sexuality. But as we continue in our study of the book of Exodus, and specifically the eighth of the Ten Commandments, we come to a topic of stealing, or should we say, not stealing. In just a moment, uh, Ben's going to put a picture on the screen that kind of depicts uh, kind of what goes on in our society, in our culture as we know it. In 1936, Leslie Thrasher painted a picture for the Saturday Evening Post entitled, Tipping the Scales. In this painting, as you'll see in a moment, there is a woman hoping to get a great buy on a turkey. On the other hand, there is a butcher hoping to make a good sale from the hefty turkey by secretly trying to add to the weight of the turkey by holding his thumb on the scale. I'm sure neither one of them would be enjoy being called a thief, but thievery is exactly what characterizes both of them by their own actions. The tipping scale. That's almost there. It's amazing how often in life that stealing can be so subtle. In just a moment, I'll give you several illustrations that kind of give description of how that takes place in our culture and in our minds, how even sometimes we subdue the thought of it. We kind of look at it as not that big a deal. And uh, we kind of think, well... You know, it's not as bad as some other areas of sinfulness that we get involved with at times. But nonetheless, it's stealing. And so, I want us to think about that this morning. None of us would enjoy being called a thief. But it's amazing how as we keep our eye on the scale, he's trying to push down to get a little bit heavier weight. And she's trying to push up, trying to get a little bit lighter weight. And uh, both of them are really practicing stealing. I know you've never thought about that before. But I believe everyone, whether they read the Bible or not, whether they go to church or not, has an understanding that stealing is wrong. Stealing is, by definition, taking something that does not belong to us. A more specific definition of stealing might be to appropriate someone else's property unlawfully. Taking something that does not belong to us, or to appropriate property unlawfully that does not belong to us. And the Hebrew word for stealing is ganath, and the word covers almost every form of stealing that one could think of. Let me give you a couple examples. Number one, burglary. Breaking into a dwelling, whether it be a house or a building, a business, to take or steal something that is not yours. That's burglary. Robbery is taking property that is not yours, but often using violence or intimidation to get it. Or how about larceny? Taking property that is not yours and having no intention of returning it to its proper owner. Shoplifting? Taking property belonging to a store without paying for it. Embezzlement? taking monies or goods entrusted to you for selfish gain. Extortion, 
Obtaining monies or goods from someone by means of threats or misused authority. And then there's racketeering. Obtaining money or goods by any illegal means. You say, well, I'm not involved in any of that. Well, praise the Lord. I don't know of anybody that's embezzled lately. I don't know of anybody who's been in any burglary or heists or bank robberies or so forth. That's, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. But I think people steal in various other forms as well. Let me give you an example. One hotel claimed that they had to replace 38,000 spoons, 18,000 tiles. Say, what would someone do with a ceiling tile? People take them. It's not attached. 355 coffee pots. And if you've ever been to a motel and you wonder why in the world is this coffee pot bolted down? That's why. And over 100 Bibles that were placed in the drawers. All in one year. Steal it. That's right. (laughs) They're there for the taking. But from a secular standpoint, all this was done in one year. Construction sites lose power equipment and are continually having to replace them. I remember as I watched Sticky Lips going up there on Jefferson Road, and uh, I can remember thinking, man, is this place ever going to open? I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it was going to be. But I remember it going up and going up and going up, and all of a sudden it just stopped. And I, uh, after it opened, I went in there and I asked one of the ladies that was working in there, I said, what happened to this place? What took so long? You know what the answer was? One weekend, all the power equipments that were inside, everything was loaded up and taken away. They lost every bit of their power equipment that they were using to build the facility. So it delayed the opening of Sticky Lips almost a month here in our own town. How about false insurance claims? False tax returns? False time cards? False reporting of sick days? are just a few ways that people steal from their business and the place that they work and their employment. Others waste company time by playing computer games, solitaire, hanging out on Facebook, social media, surfing the web, or helping themselves to office supplies each time they need something or are bored. Many people steal by unlawfully downloading music and videos, stealing from the copyrights of the very musicians and actors they enjoy from. People violate the Eighth Commandment in a variety of ways. Some market analysts believe that employees' theft accounts for nearly one-third of the cost of most items sold in department stores. Annually, stores lose approximately $200 billion per year from stealing. It's amazing. In Indianapolis, before we moved, um, there was a big thing in the newspaper that they couldn't hardly find an employee to work at our local Walmart because all the employees were in the back opening up packages, taking stuff, and then sealing the packages back up and putting them on the shelves. Stealing is a norm. So what is the big picture of this commandment? Well, yes, I do believe that we're not under the Old Testament law any longer, but reemphasizing the New Testament is a heart of righteousness and holiness before God. I believe that there are at least three aspects among many that you have to consider when answering this question, what is the big picture of this commandment? First, when you take something that is not yours 
and that you did not obtain lawfully, you sin against a holy and righteous God. And sometimes we forget how important that is. If I want to be in a right relationship and a right stand before God, I have no business stealing from others. If I'm concerned about God answering my prayers, because God's Word very clearly states in numerous passages in the book of Proverbs and the book of Psalms, that if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. In other words, if I hide sin of stealing in my heart, God's not going to listen to my prayers and answer them. Proverbs 28 tells us, I think it's Proverbs 28, says, He that covereth the matter will not prosper. If I want to be in a right standing before God, I have no business stealing and doing things unlawfully that, are, that are not, should not be a part of a Christian's life. Whether it be in the company time, company timesheets, false returns, all these things. Secondly, you are likely robbing a blessing from God meant for someone else. Have you ever thought about that? When God blesses someone else and I take it, I am stealing a blessing that was meant for someone else and adding it to my own life. And now I'm gaining things unlawfully, which is stealing. God blesses a lot of people with a lot of things. And we have to guard ourselves from taking what is not ours. But number three, when you steal, you demonstrate a lack of contentment with the things God has given you and a lack of faith and trust in God to meet your needs. Possibly, you may even question God's ability to provide to begin with. And I think that's a key thing in all of our lives. Do we trust God enough? Are we satisfied with what God gives us? Because I have to admit, sometimes I'm not satisfied. I want stuff. This last week I was reminded of a quote that I read in the book Radical by David Platt. And he talks about how radical um, following some of these principles found in Scripture can change our lives. And someone posted to my Facebook and they said, well, that sounds great in theory, but how does that live up practically? It's a good question. And I thought the more and more I thought about it, the more I come to this realization. Do I trust God with what I have or not? But what it has done for me is, and my kids get irritated with me when it comes to this issue, I'll walk around something in my hand throughout the, you know, a store. If we go to a store, yeah, they're laughing already. If I have something in my hand from the store, I will walk around the entire store and come to the conclusion I don't need it and I'll put it back. And then I'll go pick it up and say, well, it's not that big a deal, it's not that much, and I'll carry it around the store again. But then I think, no, I don't put it. And finally, when it's all said and done, it's like, just take the thing! And then I'll get in line, I'm like, no, I can't do it. And I'm one of those guys, because I've worked in retail just a little bit, I can't just throw something on a shelf somewhere. It's got to go back to where it came from. That's my monkism. <laughs> Drives me nuts. But here's the deal. Am I content with what God gives me? Because if I'm not content, I'm going to constantly be tempted to take what's not mine. Or get what's not mine to have and what God has not meant for me to have. We have to guard that if we want to be right and holy before God. But by me stealing, it shows a lack of faith and trust in God to meet my needs. And possibly even question God's ability to provide to begin with. Is God able? Of course He is. We hear it often. God owns a cattle on a thousand hills and a wealth in every mine. But where is it when I want it? then I have to question, God, is this your will? Is this your desire? 
So there is also a positive side of this commandment. The very fact that God says not to steal means that He has given us a right to ownership. Isn't that awesome? God allows us to own, own things, but ownership, however, has a different meaning through Scripture. Ownership is all about stewardship in the Bible. Stewardship. Using the things that God allows us to have for His glory. So though stealing is wrong and prohibited, we are to use all that we have for God. So the Eighth Commandment is not just about not stealing, it's also about stewardship. So what is stewardship? Well, stewardship is simply managing and caring for someone else's property. Just for a moment, I want you to think about this. Stewardship is all about carefully managing someone else's property. And the question I have to ask then is, what are we a steward of? Everything we have. And I can remember this principle being tested many times in my life. Is it my object or is it God's object? I've used, uh, by way of illustration, numerous times over the last couple of years, how in my 20s I liked to detail cars. When I was in my mid-20s, my brother and I would take Saturday mornings for three, four, five hours, wash our cars. Remember this in Lewistown, Pennsylvania? We'd wash our cars. We'd wax our cars. We'd get the buffers out. We'd get the Q-tips out and clean out the, the vents, you know, for the air conditioner and the air vents. And, man, we armor all everything. we put the tire shine. I mean, it was hours every Saturday morning because that's what was important to me. And I can remember going from being a Christian school teacher and taking the first youth pastorate and going from Pennsylvania to Elkhart, Indiana, and all of a sudden we got this youth group. And if you've ever met junior hires, sorry guys, they're crazy at times. I love them. It's the only group I'd love to work with if I were a teacher again. But we had a kid in our youth group who was absolutely crazy. And I can remember we had a Ford Aerostar van. Remember those babies? Worst vehicle I ever had in my life. Sorry, Ford. It was my van, though. Detailed my grocery getter every Saturday. And I'm telling you, it was spotless. It was speck. There wasn't a speck of junk on the carpet. There was no french fries in our van. I mean, none. It was clean. And then one of the kids who came to church one night, was I come out of the church, and he's on my back bumper, jumping up and down. He's got my van rocking up and down. There goes the spoiler. Broke it right off. And if someone who is into detailing vehicles, regardless of what that vehicle is, torqued me. And right then and there, I just kind of went back into the building. So I wanted to rip his head off. But for a moment, you know what that taught me? It wasn't God's van. It was mine. It was mine. And do you chalk it up as someone being a jerk? No, you chalk it up as a junior hire being immature. It is what it is. So you can lose your cool and lose a relationship. Or you can say, we can fix this. And that's what we did. But there are many times in our lives with the objects that God gives us, they're just going to be tested whether or not it's your object or God's object. Because when it's yours, you're going to lose your ever-loving mind over it. 
when it's God's, you say, you know what, I wouldn't choose this. I wouldn't pick that for this to happen, but it did. Now how do I need to respond to it? Everything that we have, and let me just say this, parents, your kids, your house, your car, your stuff is all God's. He's allowed you to have it, and he's entrusted them to you to carefully manage them for his glory. Stewardship is simply managing and caring for someone else's property. The property happens to belong to God. I shared this other example about another ministry that I've come to appreciate. As I was watching the demonstration or the video of a testimony of a man who uh, shared, his, shared what this ministry had done for his people, he said, I, I love it when God is at work in the hearts of our people and they really begin to understand what stewardship is all about. He said three questions begin to happen. Number one, someone will say, as they're presented with this whole stewardship uh, ministry, number one, I wonder what I should do with my money. I wonder what I should do with my money. That's a great question, isn't it? Isn't that a great question? I mean, shouldn't we be conscious of what we do with our stuff that God gives us? I wonder what I should do with my money. But they begin to grasp and understand what stewardship is all about. And they ask the second question. I wonder what God wants me to do with my money. I wonder what God wants me to do with my money. And the pastor's like, man, I'm excited because our people are beginning to get this. But there's one more step. And it comes to the third question as they mature and understand the principles of stewardship. I wonder what God wants me to do with his money. Because it's all about being a steward of what he gives us. And when we view it from that standpoint, we'll not blow through it like it's water. When we begin to understand it, that God wants us to give an account of what he does give us, we'll start to spend it a little more carefully. I wonder sometimes, as I was talking to this fellow through Facebook, I start to think about how I should spend my money or if I need to spend it. There are things that I want. I'm lying to say I would not want certain things, just like you. But we filter them through what does God want. And it's amazing how when we filter our wants with God wants and we come in line with what He wants, He says we can have whatever we want because what we want is what He wants for us. Isn't that awesome? And He said He would supply all of our needs, so that's, that's a given. Stewardship is simply managing and caring for someone else's property. Whatever God has allowed us to have, He's allowed us to have for His glory and for His purposes. I'm going to be looking at several passages of Scripture here this morning. I want you to turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Book right there after Proverbs. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 19. Verse 19 says this, God has also given given riches and wealth to every man, and He has allowed him to enjoy them. Think about that right there. Just stop right there for a moment. Read that again. God has also given riches and wealth to every man. Is anybody an exception there? Does anybody not have riches and wealth that is in this auditorium this morning? I think we've all been blessed. And He has allowed him to enjoy them. Take his his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is a gift of God. Think about that. God has blessed us. 
And everything that we have is a result of His grace and His mercy to us. But stewardship also has at its core working hard. And Proverbs has much to say about this subject. So if you would, turn back a book to Proverbs chapter 6. It's good to say it this way. What would keep me from stealing? What kind of a mindset should be in our hearts that would keep us from wanting or desiring to take something that is not ours? Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 10 says this. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms to rest, and your poverty will come like a robber, your need like a bandit. In other words, don't be lazy. It's amazing how many times people steal because they're too lazy to work for what they want. That's the culture that we live in. Go into the city. Go into some of the places where stealing is, a, is a, at a high rate. And you'll find that there's also people who are lazy and don't want to work. They don't want a job. So he says, this is what will take you down that road, being lazy. Or over chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30, if you would turn there. Verses 7 through 9. It says, Two things I ask of you. Don't deny them to me before I die. Keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Now think about that just for a moment. He says, Don't give me poverty, but don't give me wealth either. Why would you ask for that? Well, he says this Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I may have too much and deny you, saying, Who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of my God. So he said, there's a curse on both sides. If I don't have enough, I'm going to steal or be tempted to steal. And if I have too much, I'm going to say, I don't need God. I have everything I need. Give me what I need for today. That is so contrary to our culture, is it not? Our culture is all about building and building and building and getting and getting and getting and accumulating more and more and more. I wonder what's truly in our hearts at times. See, I'm not about I'm not a thief. I don't steal. But do we have at our core that we want to work and trust God for what we have? First Thessalonians chapter four, if you would turn there. Over in the middle of the New Testament there, after first right right before first Timothy. First Thessalonians chapter four. Verses 11 and 12 says this, To seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, so that you may walk properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. What's God saying? Be people who work with our hands. People who are industrious. People who provide for the honest day's work. Ephesians. Back a couple books. Ephesians. Chapter 4, and verse 28. The thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. Isn't that an awesome thing? God wants us to work hard, be industrious, provide, not just so we can get, but that so we can... Give. Once again, it goes a lot against our culture. In a culture that is consumed with getting, 
and getting and getting. God says, wait a minute. Work with your own hands so that you may give to those who have need. Is that in our hearts? Or over just a couple more pages, the Philippians, or Colossians, excuse me. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23. He says, Whatsoever you do, do it enthusiastically as something done for the Lord and not for men. Are we doing what we do for the Lord? In our lives, does it manifest a life that is working and dependent upon God and finding our contentment in Him for the things that we get? So what if you have stealing in your past? What if stealing is a part of who you are? I think there's much to learn. In fact, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. See the example of a well-known man in Scripture? Zacchaeus? It's amazing. Let me begin reading verse 1. It says, He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able to because of the crowd. And since he was a short man, so running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, because today I must stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to lodge with a sinful man. But here's the difference that took place. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. In the words of Jesus Christ, today salvation has come to this house. And Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. How do you know his life was changed? Well, the example and the testimony of this tax collector is that he was rich. He was rich, why? Because he unlawfully gained monies that were not his to gain. And he says, I'll give half of it to the poor. And if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll give them back four times. So what's the principle here? If you've taken things that are not yours, you need to return them. It's amazing how often that we forget that restitution is part of repentance. In other words, it's one thing to say, well, I'm sorry. I'm going this way in life. And uh, God has confronted me with a, uh, with a situation, a sinfulness situation in my life. I'm confronted with it. I know it's wrong. And I want to repent of it. I'm going to turn this way and go this way. But part of turning is to pay restitution for what you've done that's wrong. If you've stolen, you need to return it. I'm amazed in uh, my own testimony. My dad growing up was a gun collector. He had numerous, I mean, dozens and dozens and dozens of rifles and guns. And... Uh, so I, came, I come by it uh, honestly. I don't have anything like my dad used to have. But over the years, one thing we realized is that half the church I grew up in, every hunting season would go to my dad. Hey, Mr. Todd, do you have an extra rifle I can use for hunting season? And my dad would just, sure, here's one. But what we found out as dad was in the hospital dying, you know how many of those rifles came back? People take. And if there's nobody to question you, I'm not going to return. And my dad used to always say, I've never been cheated by an unsaved man, but half the church has cheated me. 
Isn't that a poor testimony? It should not be so amongst the children of God. We ought to be honest. Not because of the church that we go to, but because of who we are in Christ. That we're a changed person. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. And who we are in Christ is a changed person. We have to be honest with one another. When it comes to borrowing tools, when it comes to taking this or that, we ought to return it because it's the right thing to do. We need to be honest. And part of the repentance process that Zacchaeus went through is he said, if I have taken, I'm going to repay fourfold. That's being willing to pay restitution. And I think when it's possible, we need to do that. We need to make it right with the people that we've offended. Jerry Bridges, who's a prolific writer, makes an observation that there are at least three attitudes that people can have regarding possessions. First attitude is this. What's yours is mine. I'm going to take it. You ever seen that? There are people who think the world belongs to them. And it's wrong. And this is the attitude of the thief. The second attitude is this. What's mine is mine and I'm going to keep it. And this is the attitude of most people because they're selfish by nature. And lastly, what's mine is God's. I'll share it. And this is how the godly person views possessions. Having a godly view of possessions is what pleases God. He wants us to live generously. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 15. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Deuteronomy chapter 15. There's a lot in this chapter, and I don't have time to go through a lot of it. I want to read verses 7 and 8. So, is there a poor person among you, one of your brothers within any of your gates in the land that the Lord your God is giving you? You must not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your poor brother. Instead, you are to open your hand to him and freely loan him enough for whatever need he has. And then he says, wait a minute, you just want to help the person? Oh God, if you say I have to. I don't really want to, but he says, verse 9, be careful that there isn't this wicked thought in your heart. In the seventh year, the year of canceling debts is near, and you are stingy towards your poor brother and give him nothing. He will cry out to the Lord against you, and you will be guilty. Give to him, and don't have a stingy heart. When you give, and because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and everything you do. What's the principle there? I think it's very clear. When we are willing to help others who are in legitimately in need, and we do it with the right attitude and the right heart, God says you'll be blessed. I've seen that in my life. And I've seen it in other people's lives that when they've been willing to be sacrificial and they've been willing to give out of their wealth and help someone else who has need without expecting anything in return, I've seen God's blessing there. It says you must willingly open your hand to your afflicted and poor brother in your land. That's important. Are we willing to give to those who have a need? Are we willing to say, I have so much. God has blessed me immensely. I'm not a thief. I'm not going to steal. But I'm going to bless someone else so it doesn't put them in that jeopardy. It doesn't put them with a desire or temptation 
And even if it's not there, I just want to be a blessing. Here's the principle. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. First book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 6. And look at verse 19. It says, Don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. Look at verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. Flip it around. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It doesn't matter how you look at it. It's amazing how many times in life that we've been confronted with somebody who says, I have a quote-unquote need. And you kind of stand back and you say, is this a legitimate need or is this just somebody who wants a handout? Because you have both sides in the culture that we live in. I've had people drive into my driveway, hey, you're the pastor of the church next door? Or when we were in Indianapolis, hey, are you the pastor of the church over there? Yeah, they call you in the phone book. And you get both sides. And you ask God to give you discretion and discernment in knowing who to help and who not to help. But there are times that you know something about someone, and I've had this happen to me. I've had someone pull up my driveway, and as they open up their door, you know, cigarette butts and beer cans are falling out of the door, literally. I need help with my electric bill. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm not able to help you right now. We've got to be careful. Because we can stereotype those people and we can say, well, this is not a legitimate need or because of this in your life. See, oftentimes God says he'll, what, provide for our needs. So that causes me as the person who has the need to really look internally. What am I doing with what God has given me? Am I being careful with what God has given me so that I have enough to cover the needs that I have? Or have I been wasteful? I've had people come to me before and say, Pastor, I, I, I can't get my kids to the youth activity on Saturday. Well, why is that? I don't have any gas money. Right, but where were you Friday night? Well, I was at the football game. Right, and you probably spent $50 in concessions and $40 to get in and Priorities. It's not that you don't have money to bring your kids to youth activity or to be in church on Sunday. I chose to spend my money selfishly so that now I don't have enough. We've got to guard that in our lives. How does God want me to spend his money? And there are times we just simply have to say no so that we can do what's more important versus what I may want for my own flesh. We have to be careful with that. It's not my job to judge, and I, by God's grace, won't do that. But at the same time, we have to be careful and look internally and say, God has provided for my needs, but I blew it on this. And if we're not careful, we'll not have to help others. Well, why is it that I have money for the football game, but not money for church? Because my heart was in the sports. My heart wasn't in the church. And that's so true in so many aspects of life. Where my heart is, my treasure follows it. See, if my heart was in church, I'd want to do more for church. Because that's where my heart is. 
and my treasure is going to follow my heart. We need to be careful. And we need to ask ourselves the tough question, where's our heart? Because our treasure will follow our heart. What, happened when ste- what happens when stealing prevails? Well, you see the story of Achan in Joshua chapter 6 and 7, but especially at the end of chapter 7, verse 22. Stealing has awful consequences. It breaks fellowship with God because He's holy and righteous, and when we steal, we're breaking that fellowship with God when there's sin in our life. And Achan found out all too great a fashion that stealing was not worth it. Because no one sins in a vacuum. Nobody sins in a vacuum. When we sin and when we steal, it affects those around us. Several years ago, when we lived in uh, northern Indiana, there was a local pastor who was uh, caught stealing at the local convenience store. Not just once, not just twice, not just three times, but like five times. And finally that church said, you know what, no more grace. You have, to be, you have to be done here. And they tried to help him and restore him, and he ended up moving away from that area. And later God got a hold of his heart and changed his life. But when he did that, guess what it did? Destroyed a lot of relationships. Oh, you're from that church where that pastor stole. Wow. Okay. It diminishes the trust and the respect and the testimony for God. When people steal, it doesn't just affect the person doing it, it affects the family. And it breaks the testimony and the, and, the, and the respect that God has built up. One more passage. Numbers chapter 32. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers 32. Say, well, no one knows about this issue. No one knows about it. Numbers 32, verse 23. It says, But if you don't do this, you will certainly sin against the Lord. Be sure your sin will catch up with you. Did you catch that? Be sure your sin will catch up with you. Hebrews reminds us that all things are naked and open before God with whom we have to do. There is not a thing that we can do that is hidden from God. We may be able to walk into some place and do something or do something on our taxes or do something on... Uh, you know, on our time cars or, or waste time at work, and no one else may know, but God knows. He says, be sure, it will catch up with you. It always does. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And I think oftentimes we can save the heartache by just doing what's right from the beginning. But here's the amazing thing. There is comfort for all of us who have broken that Eighth Commandment. I love this when I was thinking about this last night even. I was thinking about it last week and I was going through my notes again yesterday and throughout the week. Luke chapter 23. You're familiar with the passage. Every one of us are. This is where Jesus goes to the cross Look at verse 32. Two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. 
When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right hand and one on the left. And thou said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. And the people stood watching. Even the leaders kept scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself if this is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. And the soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription was above him, This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Are you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, Don't you even fear God since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly because we are getting back what we deserve for the thing we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said unto him, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus, dying on the cross between two thieves, criminals. And why did he do it? So that you and I might have life. He stood there. And even though the one was railing on him, If you are who you are, say you are, then save yourself and us. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. There's hope for us who have stole. Hope in Jesus Christ. Not only for salvation, but forgiveness of sin. And He shed His blood that they might have forgiveness. I don't know your past. I know that even if you were to say this morning... I don't, I'm not a thief. I don't steal. Wonderful. Praise God. But on the flip side of not stealing is living a life that is righteous and holy before God, working with our hands, making an honest gain so that we can share with others. That's the flip side. Are we seeking to do that with what God has given us? Are we seeking to be a good steward of what God has entrusted to us? I trust that we are. Let's pray.